Hello, everybody, and welcome to Mama the Hard Kid. Today, we're going to be searching through the DSM-5. And the DSM-5, for those of you who don't know, is the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual of Mental Disorders. We're going to be looking at, and I'm going to be telling you what it says about certain things, and I'm going to show you how it fits under our umbrella of Reactive Attachment Disorder and Disinhibited Social Engagement Disorder. Now, right up front, I'm just going to tell you, I'm a mom. I'm not a therapist. I am a mom. I am a mom that had no resources, couldn't find anyone who understood. So I bought myself my own diagnostic and statistical manual of mental disorders. And I've been learning from and reading from it and trying to evaluate, you know, what kind of things because I see where it fits in my daughter's actions in this book, then I can see what other kind of resources I need in order to be helpful to her, if that makes sense. So when we finally got a diagnosis of reactive attachment disorder, I never in my life would have thought that's what it was. I went into her therapist and I was like, you know what, I think she has, and this is based on my research, I was like, I think she has oppositional defiance disorder and like a really severe case of ADHD. <laughs> so she goes through and we go through all of our questionnaires and we go through all of our evaluations and stuff. And she's like, based on what you're saying, based on what we see here, I think this is reactive attachment disorder. And her uh, pediatrician agreed and her psychiatrist agreed as well. So, but when I am talking about reactive attachment disorder, and any of you who have heard of my previous ones where I say, you know, reactive attachment disorder, I believe people use it as an umbrella term. And I think they use it as a term for many other diagnoses. Now, my little lady has also got an oppositional defiance disorder diagnosis, as does another one of my children, as do I. <laughs> so when I was growing up, I definitely was a moody, grouchy little lady, and I held a lot of the diagnostic criteria of oppositional defiant disorder. And it was funny because I was doing a, an evaluation form, <laughs> and I'm older at this point, and they're like, you have oppositional defiant disorder and ADHD. And I was like, oh, because <laughs> that's exactly what I had thought my little lady had when I took her in. But thanks to genetics, I have a child who has it as well. Um, but let me give you a little bit about what the DSM-5 explains oppositional defiant disorder as. Now, this is a huge section of the book, especially when you compare it to reactive attachment disorder or um, disinhibited social engagement disorder. You're, you're fitting in um, from page 462 to page 466. So there's a lot of stuff that they have in here. And for those of you who are really desperate go ahead and look it up. You don't have to buy the book because this is actually the old book. They have an updated DSM-5 that is like 200 bucks and you can purchase it. I have the older version and a lot of this stuff has changed. One of the, I have a little updated pamphlet too that's it's not a pamphlet. It's just a really small book that tells the differences and a lot of the differences that changed were like putting things on a spectrum which, you know, because you can have a lower level or an upper, upper level and you can just fit somewhere on the spectrum. Um, but I'm going to read to you what's in the DSM-5. So what it talks about is it says right here in Diagnostic Criteria A, 
A pattern of angry, irritable mood, argumentative, defiant behavior, or vindictiveness lasting at least six months as evidenced by four symptoms from any of the following categories. Okay. So I don't, I know that you have to have a certain amount of time, but for six months, I'm like, I know that they need to say, hey, you're not just sick. You don't just have the flu. You have, you know, it. A, a brain structuring situation. But the first categories are, oh, oh, get this. And it says here before I get into the categories, ex- exhibited during interaction with at least one individual who is not a sibling. So if your kids are mean to each other, <laughs> it doesn't count as oppositional defiant disorder. So you have angry, irritable mood, loses temper, touchy, easily annoyed, often angry and resentful. Number two, argumentative defiant behavior. Argues with authority figures, or if you're a child, you'll argue with somebody who's older than you, an adolescent or an adult. Often actively defies or refuses to comply with requests from authority figures or rules. Often deliberately annoys others. (laughs) Often blames others for his or her mistakes or behaviors. And the last category is vindictive which is a spiteful or vindictive behavior at least twice within the last six months. So I'm going to show you or talk to you. I'm not going to show you what it what it was like in one of my children and then what it was like in my rad child. So my one child fits so many of these criteria, but she wasn't vindictive. She would often um, do the deliberately annoy others things, but usually with siblings. So apparently that doesn't count. So that's good. But if you'd have seen what she'd done, you'd have been like, hmm. (laughs) If you'd have seen what I'd done as a child, you'd have been like, hmm. You know, so just kind of the one. And I, I feel like I, for my parents, I feel like I was the hard kid. I feel like I was the one that was constantly pestering and I had ADHD and I didn't know it. And so I was like, I had um, siblings who had like this hyperactivity portion. But I I think mine was was more like, like my brain would never stop. And so I always had to to do something. It wasn't so much physical as it was mental. But loses temper often. (laughs) Um, My experience with children who lose their temper often just in my own family, probably in a lot of families, is that my kids lose their temper often. Now I know that there are probably some families out there who are just kind of more chill. And that's great. I'm so happy for you. (laughs) And a little bit jealous, but I love my kids and I wouldn't trade them. So we went from having absolute meltdowns. I mean, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times a day. And I do hesitate now because when I say absolute meltdowns, I mean, there's, there's screaming, there's stomping, there's yelling, there's whatever. But there's another level that comes with my reactive attachment child. So it is a little bit different. Often angry and resentful. Yes. Often touchy or easily annoyed. Yes. <laughs> Argues with authority. Absolutely. But in some ways, these are these are perfectly fine things. I mean, we we want to have a world where, you know, sometimes people stand up against 
tyranny or things that they think that are wrong, you know. But when you're raising it, it can be really tricky. It can be really tricky to say, have a day where you're walking around and someone is so angry about everything every minute. And I do think that I was I was kind of that way. So the way that it shows up in my non-reactive attachment disorder, disinhibited social engagement disorder kid is she's just always on edge. I remember when I was young, I was always on edge. Everything hurt my feelings. I had more, I swear, physical pain. So when my brothers would grab my arm, it genuinely hurt. And I was genuinely angry. And I was a fighter. Like I wasn't about to let anyone tell me what to do that wasn't supposed to tell me what to do. Like I would argue with my parents, I would argue with my siblings, I would argue with random people. Like I remember, and I'm so embarrassed about this now, my older brother had someone who was picking on him. So he's an older kid picking on a younger kid who happens to be my older brother. So I've got to be like seven years old. And I'm so angry at this kid. And I just happily, happily rail into this kid. (laughs) My neighborhood had this stupid fight club. (laughs) I did not grow up in this current time. I grew up a long time ago. And and I was like, absolutely, I'm going to be in this fight club. (laughs) It was awesome. I... I definitely got some character points for the Fight Club. And you know what? We were never told not to talk about Fight Club. So I was, I was, I was this. I was happy to be aggressive towards anybody. I was often angry and resentful. I was touchy, easily annoyed. All of those things were me. And, and I'm okay. I made it to adulthood and I'm okay. But then I have this reactive attachment disorder child. And in this, we have all of those first pieces where she can't kind of understand that she is partially to blame for anything. Um, There's a lot of demanding other people understand what you're feeling because you feel so validated in what you're doing. And there's no way that anyone would disagree with you if they just realized how validated you were in your feelings, right? But she has all of those and she has them to a high degree. Uh, But she really has number eight, which is the vindictiveness, has been spiteful or vindictive at least twice in the past six months. And I have to tell you, it makes me laugh my head off that, I mean, this isn't her She does have this diagnosis, but this isn't, you know, when you hit a major level of mental disorder, you, you just can't help yourself, but be like, wouldn't it be cool if there were only two vindictive things, (laughs) if there was only two in six months, because when you have a child with reactive attachment, there can be two in two minutes, there can be 50 in a day, like you, you are just constantly combating vindictive behavior. And it shows up in uh, verbal things where they say something and they're trying to stab you by verbally. It shows up in physical destruction of things. It shows up um, in ours. So not only would she say things that were hard, but she knew that a certain type of tantrum 
was just so loud and so difficult. So she would instantly just drop into this tantrum and then she would laugh about it. She thought it was so funny. And then she would just keep going with her tantrum. So, but it also showed up in the destruction of properties. So many things that I liked got ruined because she was being vindictive. So an oppositional defiant disorder diagnosis does fit with a lot of the things that she did, but they need to have like an ultra <laughs> oppositional defiant disorder to fit under the umbrella of reactive attachment disorder. These kids are or can be, let's say this, these kids can be so intense. But I went moving along. And as I got to the end of oppositional defiant disorder, I saw intermittent explosive disorder right after on page 466. Now this one made me laugh out loud. And I do have some notes here where I'm not sure they're super relevant, but but I just I just remember reading it and just laughing. So it talks about the diagnostic criteria and recurrent behavioral outbursts representing in a failure to control aggressive impulses as manifested by either of the following. Number one, verbal aggression, temper tantrums, tirades, verbal arguments or fights or Physical aggression towards property, animals, or other individuals occurring twice weekly on average for a period of three months. The physical aggression does not result in damage or destruction of property and does not result in physical injury to animals or other individuals. What? Okay, so okay, so they're just being explosive, like they're just freaking out. And number two, three behavioral outbursts involving damage or destruction to property and or physical assault involving the physical injury against animals or other individuals occurring within a 12-month period. Three in 12 months. Oh, you guys, I laughed so hard. <laughs> three. Three. Injury to animals, people, and property. Three in 12 months. Um, my little lady could destroy so many things in a day. I have, and I'll walk you through this sometime because I, I put it together. It was probably about a year ago. She was probably about four years old. And I was so burnt out that one day I just sat on my laptop and I, and I chronicled the day of what happened. I put the time, I chronicled what happened. I put the time, I chronicled what happened. And even in that day, She's destroying stuff really fast. Now, now in this day, it wasn't like terribly large things. I mean, she breaks a necklace and she does this because she wants a certain type of attention. And when she doesn't get it, she'll destroy something. It can be something like dipping the roll of toilet paper in the toilet. It can be something like breaking a necklace. It can be something like tearing a book. She loved to tear books. It can be something like uh, pushing a chair over. It can be, it could be anything but she's four so when you talk about like busting holes in walls she wasn't doing that necessarily I mean she could throw something that would bust something so that's definitely possible but it wasn't like she put her little tiny four-year-old fist through a wall to say that she was an intense little girl is still kind of an understatement but moving on to criteria b the magnitude of aggressiveness expressed during the reoccurrent outbursts is grossly out of proportion to the provocation or any precipitating psychological stressors. Now, if you mean psychological stressors like drug 
addicted utero alcohol exposure and neglect, then yeah, my kid has some previous psychological stressors. But if you're talking about like an event that has recently happened and they're they're going through the trauma of that recent event and it's kind of an individualized thing, then no, like my kid doesn't have that. But if she, if you want to say that she's processing her trauma, absolutely she's processing her trauma. Now, this is where it gets really tricky. And this is kind of why people are like, oh, reactive attachment disorder is obviously a trauma filtration. Like disinhibited social engagement disorder, reactive attachment disorder, obviously are a response to a traumatic situation, right? Or your sometimes your brain just doesn't develop properly. But you know, when I, when I'm looking through and saying, here's what my kid does. And then the therapists are like, well, we're not going to diagnose it with that. And I'm like, I don't care. You don't need to, you don't need to diagnose her with this. We just need to, to treat the situation as if it was as serious as I'm telling you it is. Because what it felt like is I tell the therapist and then they'd be like, brush, brush, brush. You know, we're not going to focus on the fact that she has more than three behavioral outbursts involving damage or destruction of property and or physical assault involving physical injury against animals or other individuals, you know, within a 12 month period, like we're just going to throw out the window that this is something that she does multiple times a day. We're just going to be like, we're not going to touch that. They kind of focus in my experience on the attachment, which I don't think is bad. I think that that's good. But I also think you have to take into a a serious accountability therapist that these other things are real major factors as well. And when I read what it takes to get a diagnosis of oppositional defiant disorder or intermediate explosive disorder and coming up conduct disorder, then then know that, that this is a very serious situation. So when you take light of it and you're like, oh, wah, like that's that can really be impactful to the parent who's trying to raise a child like this. So C, a recurrent aggressive outbursts are not premeditated. They are explosive. They are not committed to achieve some tangible objective. So they're not for money or for power. Like they're not trying to intimidate you to do something. They're just exploding. Um, Absolutely. And D, oh, (laughs) here we go. I actually have to do E too and maybe even F, good gracious. So the reoccurrent aggressive, this is D, outbursts are either cause either marked distress in the individual or interpersonal functioning, or are associated with financial or legal consequences. Okay, for sure. But here's E. E is the point where I had a lot of trouble because a lot of these, you know, they kind of lump a lot of this into like toddler behavior. But you have to have a chronicle age of at least six years old or the equivalent developmental age. And that's where I kind of hit a bit of a snag when it comes to my reactive attachment child. Because tantrums, yeah, for sure. But there was a mental aptitude that came along with this situation. Because again, she's coming from a point where she is in survival mode. And she is in demanding mode. And she is in this place where she is, I mean, it's intentional. It's not unintentional. And I think that the reason and I'm just guessing, I think the reason they have this 
written this way and this age limit is because I think a lot of kids do this kind of behavior under the age of six in an unintentional way where it's not vindictive and it's not targeted. And with kids with in my situation, it was it was I mean, there were times when you could tell that she was like just done and she couldn't help herself. But there are other times where it was like, nope, she's just mad and she's doing this to get even. So here's number here's number F. Here's F. The recurrent aggressive outbursts are not better explained by another mental disorder. Okay, here's another area in which it doesn't track a major depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, disruptive mood dysregulation disorder, which which we'll talk about, too, because you can't get that one until you're six years old either. A psychotic disorders, antisocial personality disorder, borderline personality disorder, and are not attributed to another medical condition such as trauma or Alzheimer's disease or to the psychological effects of a substance such as drug abuse and medication. For the children ages 6 to 18 years, aggressive behavior that occurs as a part of an adjustment disorder should not be considered for this diagnosis. So I have a child who has these situations, but she's not going to get this diagnosis because she has a reactive attachment disorder diagnosis. However, when you read the DSM-5 and you're trying to say, hey, I'm teaching as the DSM, and I'm sure there are other books and things that they read, but if they're going back into the DSM-5 to figure out what is going on, it's not even listed as a comorbidity. So a lot of therapists have no idea that when your child has disinhibited social engagement disorder or reactive attachment disorder, that there's more to it, that there's, it's such a complex situation. We're going to move on and talk about conduct disorder because truthfully, (laughs) conduct disorder this one doesn't really fall so much under the category of my child. This is more aggressive. She's not so much aggressive as she is um, vindictive. But a lot of people who have children with reactive attachment disorder have children who would fall into the category of conduct disorder. Now, a conduct disorder, um, let me read the diagnostic criteria for you. So it's a repetitive and persistent pattern of behavior where the basic rights of others or major age-appropriate societal norms or rules are violated and is manifested by the presence of at least three of the following 15 criteria in the past year with at least one criteria in the past six months. So the first section is aggression to people and animals often bullies, threatens, or intimidates others. Number two, often initiates physical fights. Number three, has used a weapon that can cause serious harm to others, like a bat, a brick, a bottle, knife, gun. Number four, has been physically cruel to people. Number five, has been physically cruel to animals. And number six, has stolen (laughs) while confronting a victim. So like mugging or purse snatching or extortion or robbery. And number seven, has has forced someone into sexual activity. Now, the only one that fits into this for my child is the cruelty to animals. So we're going to move on. That's one. Destruction of property. Number eight, has deliberately engaged in fire setting with the intention of causing serious damage. Number nine, 
has deliberately destroyed other people's property other than by fire setting. So we definitely have had number nine. We have lucked out that we haven't had number eight, but a lot of people who have children who have this diagnosis, 10, I mean, as in like reactive attachment disorder, tend to have children who also do number eight with the fire. So moving on to deceitfulness or theft. Number 10 has broken into someone else's house, building or car. Hmm. Mine's too little for that. Number 11, often lies to obtain goods or favors to avoid obligations, <laughs> such as conning others. Mine's not good at this because she's the youngest, but if she wasn't, she would be, I, I have a feeling this would be a good one for her. <laughs> but I've got more than one kid that does this. <laughs> Number 12, has stolen items of non-trivial value without confronting the victim, such as shoplifting, but without breaking and entering or forgery. So my little lady, who is little, and, and they say, you know, you have to wait till they're six. But my little lady has a lot of impulsivity issues. And she cannot sometimes help herself from taking things that she thinks are awesome. She'll just take them. And no matter how many times you talk about it, she's like, what? And she hides it. She knows she's not supposed to. But when you find it, she's like, I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> I remember one time, she's got like a stuffed animal stuffed under her jacket and I caught her so of course I get screamed at and I made her give it back but her backpack is clear she has a clear backpack because this is something that has been a big problem for her so number 13 falls under the category of serious violation of rules now this is older than her she doesn't she can't fit in any of these categories often stays out at night despite parental pro prohibitions beginning before the age of 13 years number 14 has run away from home overnight at least twice while living in parental or rental surrogate home or once without returning for a lengthy period of time and number 15 is often truant from school beginning before the age of 13 so I mean this doesn't fit her if I were to give her some I mean she definitely is a rule violator, but this doesn't, this doesn't really fit her because, and, and I have to also throw in that she does try really hard. I know she has a lot of structural issues inside that are not her fault and make things really difficult for her. I know it's not her fault. It doesn't make her an easy child, but I know she tries really hard and I appreciate that about her. So B, the disturbance in behavior causes critically significant impairment in social, academic, or occupational functioning. And C, if the individual is the age 18 years or older, criteria are not met for antisocial personality disorder. So when you hit antisocial personality disorder, which is actually, if you just keep reading, you'll come across it because they have an kind of an undefined conduct disorder after this. And then you kind of hit the antisocial personality disorder section. And I I mean, again, I'm just reading this. I'm just learning. I'm just doing my best. And I know that there are probably people that teach that there's a lot of crossover. But I've noticed that there hasn't been in my therapy experience with our therapists or anywhere I've gone for help. It just It just hasn't been there. And I really wish therapists and psychologists and psychiatrists, I mean, and, and people who are even in the place of DCFS or CPS or the foster system, I wish that they were aware of just how big of a situation this is. 
Now, my child, again, doesn't have a whole ton of the conduct disorder stuff, but many, many, many parents who have children with reactive attachment disorder and disinhibited social engagement disorder, their kids have these. Now, my kid's young. I am honestly terrified for her teenage years, <laughs> but I'm really hopeful that we're going to figure this out and that it's going to be a manageable situation. But I just want any professionals out there to know that there is an overlap here that you might be missing that is to the detriment of the child and the parent. And because it's a detriment to the parent, it is an additional detriment to the child. It is, in my opinion, that the having the whole group work together is the only way you're going to solve this situation. And so if you dismiss the fact that the parent is dealing with these actions from the child, because you don't, you know, want to focus on that, or that's not a thing, you just need to factor it in. It's, it's really imperative for the health of the child, that everybody is on the same page. And if you're a parent out there, and you have a child who is not being understood by you or the therapist, I implore you to learn about this. And I implore you to have open discussion with your therapist. And you know what, there have been times I haven't done it yet, because I haven't. Um, I mean, I'm just starting out on this whole education process for myself. But there are don't be afraid to say, you know what, I was reading about oppositional defiant disorder, I was reading about explosion disorder. I know that the diagnosis doesn't necessarily cross over. But I'm going to tell you these are the symptoms that we're seeing and we're seeing them this often. Because if you bring your therapist factual information, and you don't bring them the emotional information, then they won't use their therapy brains to assign you a diagnosis instead of where the real issue lies in getting the proper understanding to be able to do the most help. You want to help the child, you want to help yourself, you want to help, I'm not the therapist, I don't really care, but you want to help the therapist to help the child. So I wish all of you the best as we go forward and hope that all of you who are having struggles in this area might be able to find a little bit more education, a few more answers, and a little bit more help from your therapist as time goes on.